Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I want to start with last night's Nuggets-Warriors game. A lot going on. A lot going on, and what you had in that game last night was literally both ends of the spectrum. You had the exhilaration and the greatness of Steph Curry, and then you had the horrifically awful as it relates to Jamal Murray, who went down. Let me start with the bad news first, unfortunately. Late that game with the Nuggets trailing by seven. Less than a minute to go, Murray goes to the rack looking to make something happen, and then the absolute worst thing happened. Roll it. And Murray, 100 miles an hour, and it will be Warrior Ball. They went straight up. He's holding his knee. Oh, no. That is not a good sign. Jamal Murray is down. Jamal Murray is in a lot of pain here. And Mike Malone hustling. We, we just saw that same side of the floor where Wiseman was injured on Friday night, and this oh. is awful. Yeah, he's, he's in a lot of pain. I don't even know if I want to watch this. Oh, yeah, his his leg just gave way. Did you see that? I did. Before he took off. or he did, The last plant on it, his knee just gave out. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's tough to see. That's tough to even hear. There is so much that is so terrible about that. Like the fact that you could hear him shout and then slap the floor in pain if you were watching that game. Like the reaction of the other players on the court when that happened. Like the fact that he had just come back from an injury to his other knee. Like the fact that this is truly one of the special players in the NBA. Like the fact that this is a guy who was down even with less than a minute to go. And this guy's still battling his ass off trying to keep his team in that game. Maybe send it into overtime. Still going hard until the final seconds. And then to see him go down like that. Man, it is just awful. Awful. And then when you see something like that, all you can really do is hope for the best. Like, maybe it's not as bad as it looks. Maybe it was just a really awkward landing. Maybe it's just a sprain. Maybe it's hyperextended. So you're bracing for the worst, hoping for the best, and hoping that it's just not what it appears. But then the word comes down this morning, and it was, in fact, as bad as everybody expected. He has a torn ACL. A torn ACL which is just terrible, man. Sucks for the Nuggets, who went to the Western Conference Finals last year. Then they made that big move for Aaron Gordon. Obviously, sucks for Murray, who was an absolute legend in the playoffs last year and turning into a playoff superstar in front of our very eyes. And it sucks for anybody and everybody who likes basketball because you want to see the best of the best, and Jamal Murray in the playoffs is the best of the best. Do you remember the two 50-point games against the Jazz? Do you remember the 40 points in Game 7 against the Clippers? This guy was electric. And it just got ripped from him, from the Nuggets, pretty much from everybody. It's just a bad, bad deal. I mean, the thing about the Nuggets, and this is why we always put these guys on, and I always talk about that team, I love the way they were all in. Tim Conley, Michael Malone, they pushed every chip to the center. They've got the MVP favorite in the Joker, a certified playoff stud in Murray. They bring in Gordon, and then all of that gets ripped last night. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to roll over and quit. I'm not saying they're not a factor. I'm saying it's hard to make an argument that they're the team to beat coming out of the West without this guy. He's that good. I think that much of him, and that is that tough a blow. Terrible thing. 
So while that injury leaves a horrible taste in everybody's mouth after the game last night, it also means we have to appreciate what we get to see from every great player and appreciate it while it's there. Because again, this is a reminder that it can all be ripped any second. Another reminder why you have to appreciate a guy like Steph Curry and the history we saw from Steph Curry last night. He went into last night's game with a really good chance to become the Warriors' all-time leading scorer. Now, if you've not been paying attention, there's a decent chance you'll be surprised by who Golden State's all-time leading scorer is. It's not Rick Barry. It's not Chris Mullen. It's Wilt Chamberlain. And last night, Curry needed 19 points to break Chamberlain's scoring mark. And he got it, and he got it in the first quarter. Yes, 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 yes. I said Steph Curry broke Wilt the Stilts scoring mark. So you can all go Beavis and Butthead with it. Get it all out, morons. Get it all out, morons. Because while that is what many of you are all about, not all of you, many of you, most of you on Twitter, although that is what many of you are about, that is not what last night was about. That first quarter, hell, the entire game was a reminder of the greatness of Steph Curry. I know the last two years have been very unwarriors, and that Steph might not be top of mind every single night, but last night put him right back there because my man had it all working. Of course, he was heating it up from deep with shots like this. Porter switching on to Steph. Uh-oh, launches the three. Woo-hoo. He's got 11. He's seven away from the Big Dipper. Seven away from the Big Dipper. Had that going, and he had this going. Nuggets are on a 10-0 run, literally running riot out here. Steph Curry got another for three. You're right, Richard. He wants to take care of this 19 in the first quarter. <laughs> Gotta love that, right? Let's get this thing done. Let's get it done in the first quarter. In fact, here is the one that got it done. He's going to be breaking records the rest of his career. Curry driving. Curry flipping it up and in. Into the basket. And oh, now dear. into the record books. The most points ever in Warrior franchise history as Steph Curry surpasses Will Chamberlain. What a milestone. <laughs> Was that Beavis I heard at the end of that, Alvin? <laughs> what a milestone. Very mature, Alvin. Good looking out. Hey, listen, this guy did not stop at 19 either. He kept on rolling. He had 21 in the first quarter. He had 53 for the game on 24 shots. He was 10 of 18 from deep. In other words, he was Steph Curry. Still is. He was and is the guy who completely changed a franchise. This is a guy who completely changed the game. Golden State Warriors were the laughing stock of the league before he arrived. They were the ultimate punchline. They were a joke. The idea of Golden State winning a championship was idiotic before he got there. And now they've got three with him. And really, it's only just the start because it's not just about how he changed that team and that organization. It's about how this one guy changed the entire league. He revolutionized the game in a way that few others have ever done in any sport. I mean, just stop on that for a minute. It's true. He revolutionized this game in a way that very few others have done in any sport because he doesn't just shoot the three ball. He doesn't just take threes. He takes deep threes, which then changes the way other teams play on defense, and it changes how other greats play on offense. It changes the way that kids play the game right now. Like, it's not an overstatement to say that he broke the four-minute mile in basketball.
that when he started pulling up from Curry range, everybody else started to think, you know, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can stretch my range. Maybe I can do what he does and pull up from the logo. So if you like sports and you like basketball, then you got to consider yourself lucky to be alive, really, to be able to enjoy this guy right now when he's still in his prime. You got to enjoy it. You have to appreciate it and you have to be grateful for it because greatness is rare. Greatness is special. And we got a stark reminder of it last night. Not only is it rare and special, but it can be ripped from you in any given moment and in the worst way possible. But, but also in the best way. So that to me is why that game was so dramatic last night. We got literally the very best and the very worst of the game itself. 1-800-636-8686. So if you want to talk about Denver and where that leaves them, nowhere good. I hate to say, nowhere good. They've still got a lot of talent on that team, a lot of fight on that team, a lot of grit on the Nuggets, tremendous culture, extremely well coached. But you cannot next man Murray. You just can't. Hey, you want to hear something utterly amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. That's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. All right, so back to Julian Edelman. When the word first came in the form of an NFL transaction, it came like this. The Patriots had terminated Edelman's contract. And for a moment, you think to yourself, the hell is that? Are they giving up on him? I know he was banged up last year. But are they giving up on him? Or is this his way of forcing his way out of New England to hop that train down to Tampa? But then the official announcement came from Edelman himself on social media that he is retiring. He said this in part on video. It was a hard decision, but the right decision for me and my family. And I'm honored and so proud to be retiring a Patriot. It's been the best 12 years of my life. All right, so that makes sense. He's turning 35 in a month. He only played in six games last year due to injury. And it's not just that injury, a knee injury. It's all the other injuries that have mounted over the years because we're talking about a dude who has played through a lot of injuries and a lot of pain. A really, really tough guy. But they take their toll, obviously. And he's about to turn 35. So it does suck that he's retiring due to injuries. But the fact that he's retiring, assuming it sticks, does not mean that he's going to join Brady and Gronk in Tampa. Yeah, like the hood is going to let that happen. I mean, one thing for Brady to bust out and go to Tampa. Another for Gronk to join him in Tampa. But Brady, Gronk, and then Edelman? Yeah, I think that's a bit much, even for the hood. No matter how brand, on brand for Brady, that would be, and on brand for Brady is tedious and boring and tired. Edelman, though, also, as tight as he is with Brady, Edelman is a big Belichick guy. He is. And it's been a hell of a ride. If you go back to his autobiography written with Tom Curran, this was the phone call from Belichick to Edelman on draft day. Quote, Hey, this is Coach Belichick. We're going to draft you. We really don't know what you are or what you're going to play, but we know you can play football. Nancy Mayer 
the uh, Patriots Director of Scouting Administration. We'll call you tonight to get you situated. Have a good one, Julian. Talk soon. So that about sums it up, right? They didn't know where the Kent State quarterback could play, but they knew he could play. They knew he could play football, and he did. This guy played his ass off. Three rings, Super Bowl MVP, second most postseason receptions in NFL history. You know, and cliche as it sounds, when the chips were down, when the stakes were highest, when the spotlight was the brightest, this guy was at his very best. Like in the Super Bowl against the Rams. Like that reception against the Falcons in the midst of that 28-3 comeback. Shotgun snaps to Brady. Stands in, throws down the middle for Edelman. Ball's tipped. And Julian diving for it as Olford cut in front of the receiver. Edelman has it. Did he make the catch? He did. He did. You got to be At kidding the me. 40. The ball was tipped by Olford. The Patriots are going to try to line up and snap it. And Dan Quinn is going to throw the challenge flag. The ball was hit high in the air. Edelman leaping forward, making the grab. It's the ball it. on the left foot of Olford. He's got it. So let me be very clear about this. There are some great moments from a damn good career, period. Damn good career. But let's be very clear. He is not a Hall of Famer. Again, tremendous career. A guy who came into the league as a quarterback, taken in the seventh round, is not supposed to make it one year, let alone 12. You don't take a quarterback from Kent State and expect him to be a Super Bowl MVP wide receiver. That just doesn't happen at all, ever. And the fact that it did is a testament to Edelman. It's something the Patriots fans will always have. Nobody could ever rip that from him or from them. But let's stop with this Hall of Fame nonsense. Edelman's not a Hall of Famer. And honestly, if you look at the numbers, it's not even close. He was a killer in the postseason, but his regular season numbers just do not stack up at all. He's second all-time in receptions. Not in the league, but on his own team. Wes Welker has more receptions than Edelman. Nobody's making the argument or trying to make the argument that Welker is a Hall of Famer. He's fourth all-time in receiving yardage. As a Patriot, that is, Stanley Morgan has nearly 3,500 more receiving yards than Edelman does. And I want to be very clear before I keep going on. Again, I've got so much respect for this guy and his career and his grind and his work ethic. Because he really was not supposed to have a job in the NFL at all. And then once he did, every single year, there were dozens of guys coming into the league looking to rip his job, and nobody could. So in other words, it can be a damn good career, but still not be Canton-worthy. Because he's not. It's not the hall of the very good. It's for the very best of the best. And by any metric that matters, he's just not that. He's just not. The bar for getting in there is so much higher than just having a really good career. And just because somebody does not get a bust doesn't mean that they're a bust. So let's be real about Edelman. He's really, really good. He delivered so much more than anybody could ever expect for a seventh-round pick from the MAC. But stop with this Hall of Fame nonsense. Yes, he has three rings. Yes, he has great postseason numbers. And no, nobody can take that from him either. But the numbers alone, those postseason numbers, that doesn't get you or guarantee you a mustard blazer. What I'm saying is, the guy is a Patriot great, but not an all-time great. Look at these numbers. You need data. How about this? He's 75th. In all-time receptions, 75th, 56th in receiving yardage. Oh, I'm sorry, 
Did I say 56th? I meant 156th. He's behind Nate Washington, Ahmad Rashad, and Jeremy Macklin in receiving yardage. He's only slightly ahead of Dion Branch. He's not even in the top 250 in receiving touchdowns. Guys like Miles Austin and Jeremy Shockey have more TDs than he does. There are running backs with more receiving yardage than Edelman. Marshall Falk has more receptions and more receiving yards and the same number of receiving touchdowns, and he didn't even play wide receiver. And then speaking of receivers, Edelman never once went to a Pro Bowl as a receiver or a return man. And I know how good he was as a returner. He was dangerous. The guy who was in 56th place on the all-time receiving yardage list has nearly 50% more yards than Edelman. Torrey Holt has nearly double the receiving yardage, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Reggie Wayne isn't either. Heinz Ward's numbers blow Edelman's out of the water, and he wasn't even a finalist this year. Oh, and there is that PED suspension. It kind of gets glossed over, doesn't it? But that really did happen. Listen, none of this is to dump on Julian Edelman. Again, this guy had a great career. And again, I could not respect this guy's grit, his drive, his toughness, his work ethic, his heart, any more than I do. But he's not a Hall of Famer. He's had an amazing football life. It's just not going to end with him wearing a yellow jacket and getting a bust in Canton. There are guys way more deserving who aren't in and probably will never get in. And there's no shame in this guy not getting in. Because you know what this guy did do? He got literally everything he possibly could get out of himself. And how many people can say that? But that in and of itself does not get you a bust. Very, very, very good player. Just not Hall of Fame good. Are you looking to grab some protein after a good workout? Of course, except this time, do it differently. Do not make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire, and it goes with you wherever you go. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones, ask for it by name. Because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? Andy Staples joining us. So, Andy, let me ask you this. You've played the game. You've covered the game for quite some time. You know football. When you were a ref, you wrote that you came away from that experience with a new perspective. That's something you dabbled in as well. Do you come away from your time now as a play caller and a coach with an even newer perspective? Oh, yeah. And the thing is, I have more empathy for those guys because, you know, we, we criticize, why did you call this here? Why did you... First of all, there's 94 people screaming in your ear while you're trying to figure out what you want to do. And by the way, you have no time. Like, if you're a defensive play caller and the offense is running that high tempo, you have zero seconds to pick a play. So that, that's the thing. It's, it's very hard. And then some of it, you can call the perfect play and somebody false starts and, and it's over and, and your drive's derailed. Or in the situation I was in where – on defense, I actually called the wrong play first, but because their back went the wrong direction, I looked like I was right. They called a better play than I did, but my guys won because sometimes stuff happens. And so it's, it's tough. We, you know, the, the fi- there's a fine line between you're a genius and we're putting for sale signs. 
yards. <laughs> Andy Staples joining us. Great point. Listen, last thought. Florida State's gone through a tough time the past few years. You spent some time there, obviously. How would you describe the vibe there right now and the energy around that program? What's it feel like to you? They are working their way back, and, and this is the first chance that Mike Norvell and his staff have really had to, to get to know these guys because they were dealing with all the pandemic stuff last year. Uh, Mike Norvell had the team over to his house on Friday night. It's the first time he's had his players to his house since he's been the coach, and he got hired in December 19. So it, it's been a process for them, and they're in a situation where I'm not sure Mike Norvell realized how much work there was to be done when he took the job because you assume it's Florida State. They got studs. They got five stars everywhere. Well, they don't right now. So he's got to replenish that, but he's also got to be competitive while they're doing it. And I think doing some of the things they've done, getting a transfer like Mackenzie Milton, getting a transfer like Jermaine Johnson from Georgia, they've got some guys in key spots now where they should be much more competitive. So they should be more, a lot more fun to watch this year than they were last year. He covers college football for The Athletic. He is host of the Andy Staples Show. He also coaches as part of his side hustle. Andy, great to have you back. Appreciate you, as always. Good talking to you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jim. This whole notion of a movie being made about somebody. Now, I went through this period of time where I had an agent, and I no longer have this agent, but I had an agent and a guy that I like very much, and he would say to me, you know what you need? You need to EP a movie. Since you always do stories, just find a story you really like, and then we could probably pitch a movie. So for a long time, I was about that. I'd find these stories that I thought were really good, and then I would check and see whether or not there was a movie to be made about that. And some of the times, the, movie had, the rights to the movie had already been bought, some of the time, it just didn't make sense. But I did have that mindset for a while. Like, what would be a good sports movie? Well, this, in fact, would have never come to me as a good sports movie. But apparently, there's going to be a movie. And I'm talking about Sean Payton. And I go back to that other point that even if it were just about us, me, you, anybody else, has anybody ever said to you, if somebody were to play you in a movie, who would that somebody be? Who would you want it to be? Well, I, I can almost guarantee that when they came up with this idea to make a movie about Sean Payton, nobody went to Sean Payton and asked him. Or if they did, he was out to lunch when they did. Because as I mentioned, somebody is going to play Saints head coach Sean Payton in a movie, and there is no way that he was involved in that decision-making process. No chance. How could he be? Netflix is set to start production on a film called Home Team. Apparently, it's going to be semi-biographical, and it's going to be about Sean Payton and his life the year that he was suspended for the Bounty Gate scandal back in 2012. So, you had me at Sean Payton. I mean, that, to me, is a very compelling figure. If Netflix wants to give my man the Hollywood treatment, I'm all about that. I can get with that. Or at least I thought that I could until I heard who was going to play him. Because yes, as I mentioned, Netflix apparently tapped on the headset and the play sheet or found a headset and a play sheet and tried to give it to this guy. My eyes are getting weary. My back is getting tight. I'm sitting here in traffic on the Queensboro Bridge tonight. The King of Queens theme song? Kevin James, a.k.a. the King of the Queens, a.k.a. Paul Blart Mall Cop, a.k.a. Poor man's Chris Farley. I mean, can I stop right there for a moment? Let's let the record reflect. It was tough enough to accept. Tough enough to accept 
that they paired up this guy and Lee Remini to be a married couple on a TV show. I mean, there's out-kicking the coverage, there's overachieving, and then there's that. That never happens. And I, I don't mean think of the two of them today. I mean, think of the two of them when that show was in its prime. There was no way that guy was going to get that gal, right? There's out-kicking the coverage, and then there's kicking the ball out of the freaking stadium. There's kicking the ball out of the stadium and out of the state altogether. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen. Now, I'm not looking to typecast this guy, but then again, I don't have to. He did, right? And it's been good for him. When your entire career is playing the lovable, fat goofball, it's hard to see that dude as anything other than the lovable, fat goofball. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But Sean Payton has never come off as a lovable, fat goofball. Good dude. I've sat with Sean Payton before. I mean, I've interviewed him, obviously, over the years. I've sat in green rooms with him. Good dude. And and by the way, an NFL offensive genius. But there's nothing lovably fat about this guy. I mean, sure. During that time off, remember, he got seriously into crossfitting and he got shredded. And then maybe he's put on a few since then. But even on his worst day, nobody would ever look at Peyton and think, lovable, fat, goofball. And if I'm Peyton, I'm wondering how the hell people who were paid to do this look at me and land on Doug Heffernan to play me. But according to NBC Sports, Sean Payton is aware of the project, even read the script, even made some corrections. Yeah, I don't know, man. You got out the red marker and you didn't correct that? I mean, he made corrections? He had notes? Yeah, how about Netflix hands over the casting sheet and lets him make a few corrections there, too? Because I'm not so sure I've seen anything this egregious since some idiot picked Scott Stapp to play Frank Sinatra last year. Listen, not everybody in sports can be as lucky as Billy Bean and get Brad Pitt to play them in a movie. But there's got to be something better here, right? There's got to be some precedent. My man Sean Payton deserves better than Paul Blart. In fact, there is precedent. Will Smith played Muhammad Ali. The late, great Chadwick Boseman played Jackie Robinson. Mark Wahlberg played Mickey Ward. Harrison Ford played Branch Rickey. Hell, Tanya Harding was even played by Margot Ro- Robbie. If Tanya Harding can wake up and see herself as being, I don't know, like attractive, <laughs> then why does Sean Payton have to wake up and look in the mirror and see Kevin James? I mean, you think that's bad? Why stop there? Watch Greg Williams get Leo or Tom Cruise just to really drive a stake into Peyton. Affect the head. You want to affect this guy's head? Get Leo to play Triple G. Affect the head. The thing about sports movies and the reason they so often fail 
is you get actors who are not good athletes. So then the sports movie doesn't work. But no matter for any movie to work, sports or otherwise, there's got to be a certain amount of believability, right? Unless the headset that Kevin James is wearing is actually a beer dispensing helmet. And unless that laminated play sheet is actually a Denny's menu, then I'm not going to believe anything from that flick. I'll tell you what I do believe. I personally believe, I personally believe that Sean Payton deserves a hell of a lot better. I personally believe. Because the only thing worse than getting suspended for a year from the NFL is having to relive it all over again as Kevin James. And don't get it twisted. I'm not saying this is a bad dude. Far from it. He's lovable. He's a lovable, fat goofball. Far from it. That's not Sean Payton, though. I mean, Ben Affleck is Batman. Can't believe how much of a stretch Kevin James is Sean Payton is. Where are you going with this, man? Martin Truex Jr. is my guest. Martin, good to have you on. How are you? Doing good, Jim. How's it going? Good, good. It's good to visit with you. So let me start right here. On the surface, Martin, it seems like it's just another race in Martinsville and another win for you. But it seems like maybe this one was a little bit different than the ones that came before it. Because in the previous wins, correct me if I'm wrong, you led more than 100 laps. This time around, you didn't lead until the 455th lap. So how did the car feel in the early part of the race on Sunday? Yeah, for sure. It was a little different uh, way to get to victory lane at Martinsville. You know, like you said, we, uh, we in the past races that we've won there, we led a whole bunch of, uh, of the race and uh, really had a dominant car. And this time was, you know, we ran third, fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in there most of the day and um, just, just continued to battle and work hard on the car and, um, you know, and just uh, kept our heads up and kept digging hard and, and fought till the end. And we found ourselves battling for the lead with, uh, you know, 25 to go or something. So, Pretty cool when they work out that way, and you can uh, you can kind of surprise them. Martin Truex Jr. joining us, no doubt, right? Like your crew chief, James Small, he called it a, quote, bleep show. Is that how it felt to you? <laughs> and if so, how did you work your way through that? You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think a lot of races kind of go this way. They, um, You know, there's not a whole lot of times that you get your car just perfect and everything's going the way you want it to, and <laughs> You know, I mean, most most of these cup races, man, they're they're just a battle uh, behind the wheel, and um, you know, it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty tough to get the cars doing exactly what you want these days, especially without practice. So, you know, just um, just fighting, you know, digging as hard as you can all day long, and and driving the hard car as hard as you can, but at the same time, being patient, you know, and not not forcing issues and um, getting yourself in trouble and tearing up your equipment. So driving the car hard but at the same time taking care of it and and just continuing to work with your crew chief on making adjustments uh, on pit stops you know martin it seems to me it's got to be so rewarding that when you don't have a dominant car on that day the team can still find a way to grind out a win but you've also talked about the fact that you're going to race hard and you're going to race clean and you've always been known as one of the cleanest drivers around but at the same time you do rack up wins how do you balance that ability to be a clean driver and to win like to win the right way yeah, um, you know, I think it's it's just, um, you know, the way I've always done things and, and, you know, I've been able to, fortunately, been able to make it work, you know, been been with some great teams, great equipment, um, you know, this this team this year, I mean, I feel great about them. So, you know, just, um, 
you know, I feel like if you race people the right way, they, for the most part, return the favor. And, um, you know, if you, if you don't do it the right way, then, then you're going to get, you know, you're going to get it back. So I think in the long run, really, I mean, um, you know, being a, being a considerate driver and, and just, you know, I race aggressive, I race hard. Um, but, but I don't, I try not to at least, and sometimes we all make mistakes, right? But try not to just, you know, make dumb moves and, and, you know, knock a guy out of the way for third or fourth or fifth or whatever, or, or early in the race or, um, you know, things like that. So just try to be respectful. And, and I feel like for the most part, I get that back in return and it pays off. Is that kind of unspoken? Is that kind of the way it's done? Do people know and remember? And does it all kind of take care of itself on the track that way? I think for the most part, Jim, yes. I mean, um, you, know, you know, the guys out there that are when they're behind you, there's a, there's a chance they do something stupid or, you know, they, they push the issue early in the race or you see guys, you know, certain guys do things differently. And, you know, pretty much everyone on the racetrack that we, that we race with, you understand their tendencies. You understand, you know, in certain positions, what you think they might do ahead of time. And, and you kind of, you kind of race accordingly, accordingly and uh, make decisions accordingly. So I think it definitely comes around and, uh, drivers have good memories, you know. I, I I can remember a lot of things over the years that have happened, and, and drivers don't don't tend to forget too easily. Martin Trex Jr. is joining us. I could absolutely see where that might be the case. Now that's your third win in your last four starts in Martinsville, and your fifth win in your last eleven short track starts. What is it about Martinsville that seems to fit you and your style so well? You know, I think it's just something we figured out over the years. You know, Martinsville is a very unique racetrack. It looks simple, you know, small little short paper clip, basically, a half-mile track, um, you know, been around since, you know, the 50s or the 40s or whatever. So very, very old racetrack, and it's it's really not changed a lot in a long time, but it's very, very technical. And, you know, I think for me, I've, I've worked with the same, you know, core group of guys, um, really since Furniture Row in 20, you know, I guess about 2015. And we've just been able to continue to work on similar things. And, you know, we, our cars are still, you know, built sort of the same. And um, we're able just to, you know, kind of just fine-tune on our setup each time we go. And we've just, uh, you know, for whatever reason, we just hit on something that works for me. And um, it's it's been able to work for, you know, for quite a few years now. And, and we just continue to tweak on that with you know, the tire changes and, the and, and you know, the cars change year to year just based on rules and the way they build them and things. So just, just small tweaks here and there, and it's been able to uh, keep working for us. Martin Truex Jr. is joining us once again on the program. You know, you broke through in 2018 with that first win on a track shorter than a mile, and now you're stacking these wins. So it's all come together. I say that because this is the first of a run of five tracks that will be part of the playoffs. Obviously, every single race is important, but does it take on an added level of significance when you know you're going through these playoff tracks? Yeah, I think you approach them a little bit different. Um, you know, I think a few weeks ago, uh, being able to go out to Phoenix and win there was a huge one because, you know, that's where the championship race is going to be held. And we put a lot of effort into trying, you know, trying something new there because we hadn't been good enough to win the past few years. And, and being able to go out there and win was huge. And I, I look at the next five weeks kind of the same way. Um, you know, it's a time to maybe try some things at, at if, if there's a one other, one or two of those tracks that you're not as good as you have, as you need to be, or, you know, you, you feel like you weren't as good as you need to be last year, or you need to try some things. It's really a good time to, you know, figure out where you stand. Um, so you kind of know where you stand for the playoffs when they start. And, 
Um, you know, for us, we've got two wins in the bank. We're, we're starting to get some, you know, good playoff bonus points, and um, it'd be nice to uh, to be able to rack up some more. But we have we we can take some risk. We can go there. We we'll maybe try some new things at some of these tracks, and. Um, and really build up our notebook for the playoffs. Hey, Martin, speaking of trying things, a couple of weeks back, you won the truck race on the dirt at Bristol Motor Speedway. You were entering a truck series race for the first time in a decade and a half. So going into the race, what was your plan, and what were you hoping to get out of it? Uh, well, honestly, it was um, it was really uh, the reasoning was, you know, we were going to race the cup cars on dirt, and, and I don't have a lot of dirt experience. And, um, you know, I've, I've literally never raced a real race in a dirt car before. So, uh, I just wanted to do the truck to get some experience and, you know, it turned out just to be so much fun and, and to be able to win was, uh, you know, was, was a real added bonus. So I had a blast doing that. And, um, you know, obviously a great truck team with, with KVM, but, uh, man, had, had a lot of fun and I think surprised a lot of people, including myself on the dirt. You know, it sounds like a lot of fun for those who are not familiar with it. Like how similar is a truck series race to a cup series race and then how good did that feel to win it well it felt great to win it you always want to win every every time you get in something but um <clears throat> you know the truck and the car on a on a really short track like that i would say um they're pretty similar you know they obviously look a lot different but the suspension and the way they're built they're all you know pretty similar and and honestly uh the truck and the car at bristol on the dirt both drove pretty much the same so uh, I think part of that was, you know, the teams I was with and, and, and our setups, I would say, were, were you know, somewhat similar. But, um, you know, at a bigger track, they would definitely be a lot different than at a short track. So let me finally ask you this, Martin, because when I've talked to coaches over the years, you know, people have had a lot of success. They often talk about how losing is misery and winning is only relief. You've had a lot of success. And from the outside, it seems like you're able to enjoy that success, that it's like it's actually not just relief. It's an actual source of joy. Is that right? Has it always been that way or did you kind of develop that perspective? You know, I'll be honest with you, Jim. I think it's something that, uh, you know, that, that just kind of changed for me. I, I went through a long dry spell, and, you know, I think my story uh, in racing is, is one that, you know, a lot of race fans understand or know about. But, you know, I won my first cup race back in 07, uh, my second season, and then I didn't win again till 2012. And it's just, you know, when you go through, you know, rough patches and things like that, it just makes you really appreciate uh, the good times more and, uh, you know, there was a time there where I, you know, I lost my ride at, at MWR and, and, um, you know, things weren't looking so good. So, I mean, I just, uh, I just really appreciate the opportunity that I've got and, and, um, really appreciate the people I work with and the opportunity to go out and win races is just, uh, it's a dream come true. It's, it's what I've always wanted, you know, growing up as a kid racing go-karts, uh, I dreamed of, you know, being a cup driver someday and, um, you know, to win a championship and to be, consistently winning races at the top level is just uh, it's so much fun and it's so rewarding and you know it's a lot of hard work and um you know when, when i win these things i, I feel like I, I treat them like it's my last one because you never know what's going to happen next no doubt he is the driver of the number 19 car for joe gibbs racing the 2017 cup series champ again the next race is the toyota owners 400 at richmond raceway it's sunday 3 p.m eastern on fox martin as you mentioned off the top it had been a little while since you and i came together it's great to have you back on the show i always enjoy the conversation and thank you very much oh, it's a pleasure thanks for having me jim take great. care of course i'm speaking of jordan poyer jordan great to have you on how are you 
Hey, appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Was a so, great introduction, man. I appreciate that. Jordan, I appreciate you. I appreciate you very much. Great to have you. So you're coming off a great season for both you and the team. Before we get into that, just kind of bring me up to date. What has your offseason been like, and how have you approached it? Yeah, uh, I'm, in, I'm down here in South Florida, um, training at a pretty pretty cool spot in uh, Aventura, Florida, called Bomberitos. A lot of guys train there. Uh, just been working, man. Uh, you know, felt felt what it was like to get to the AFC Championship game last year, and you know, came so close. So, um, you know, there's a couple couple guys on the team working out with me down here. So it's it's good to see. You know, guys are hungry. Guys are guys are. You know, that's that's how I feel, man. I'm just hungry, ready for this thing to to kick off. So you know, we can we can show the world what we got. Jordan Poyer joining us, you know, before, and I know you're looking ahead, not back, but I mean, it was such a great, great run. You led the team to the first divisional title since 95, as I mentioned. You went to the AFC Championship game, as you mentioned. When you look back on the season, what kind of thoughts do you have? Man, uh, you know, first of all, we just, we got a great, it's a great organization from, from top to bottom, man. I mean, you can, you can really feel the culture, culture change and culture shifts since when we got there in 2017 to now, you know, you got, you got guys, you know who I'm training with down here. You know, asking what what's Buffalo like. You know, and, and that that really wasn't the the case before. So you know, now you got guys wanting to come to Buffalo, wanting to you know kind of see what the culture is like in Buff culture is like in Buffalo. And you know, we just we just bonded, man. We, we and we grinded. We worked extremely hard. Um, guys were, were were selfless, and and there was no egos on the team. And that's what made it fun, man. Guys just came to work and um and, and went hard. And and I mean. Like I said, we we have the talent. We know what it takes to get that far. We know it's a whole new season, and and you know we got to have to work to get there. But we definitely know, you know, what it takes to get there, and 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 we got the right pieces to do so. Jordan Poyer joining us. You know, Jordan Sean McDermott talked about the fact that you love love the grind. It seems to me it's one thing to accept the grind, but it's another to embrace it or covet it. Like, what is it about the grind that you love so much? Uh, you know, I, I, to me, I feel like I just always have been overlooked from when I was in high school to going to college, even college, going to the, to the league, you know, and, and, uh, you know, even throughout my journey in the league, uh, even to now, you know, I still feel like, you know, I, I don't get the respect that, that I deserve. And so it gives me that kind of chip on my shoulder to, to continue to prove people wrong. And that's kind of always been my motivation is always trying to prove people wrong. Um, you know, and I, and I love the game, man. I love, you know, the, you know, you put in what you get out. So, um, you put in the work, you're going, you're going to see the, you're going to see the success on the field. And, you know, I've, I've seen both ways, you know, I've been in, 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 in situations where I hadn't put in the work and, and you see it on the field. So, you know, I don't want to be in that situation anymore. So I just want to continue to put in the work and, and help this, help this football team win games. Um, cause this is, you know, my prime of my career and I know that we're chasing the Super Bowl right now. So, um, you know, I got to be ready for, for whatever they have me doing. You know, to that point about you not getting the respect that you deserve, you had another great season, the kind of season that, frankly, should have earned you a spot in the Pro Bowl, but it didn't. Now, to that point, your coaches and teammates talk about the fact that you've been playing at a Pro Bowl level for years now. Is that all that matters to you, that you're there for them and they know that? Or do you want, do you want that to be official? Do you need that official spot in the Pro Bowl? No, I, I mean, like you said, man, I, I understand that I got the respect of my teammates because they see the way I work and to see the way that I approach approach the game. Um, and I mean, it's it's a, a mutual respect all the way around. But you know, it, I just I, like I said, I just always got that chip on my shoulder. I want the next thing. You know, I want the next big thing. And um, you know, whether that's the Pro Bowl, All Pro, or I mean, even Super Bowl. You know, there's always goals out there that that you want. And so. 
um, you know, I'm gonna continue to grind to get, you know, get that respect and get that get that recognition. But like you said, I, I mean, just to have the have the respect for my teammates and my coaches. I mean, especially going into year nine in the league, um, you know, you, it's not a lot of you don't really get that a whole lot. You know, you don't see the type of type of groups group that we have um, around the league a whole lot. So, uh, you know, like I said, to, I always talk to Mike and Tredavious, like this is gonna be our well, it's going to be our fifth year all in the same secondary together. You know, Levi coming in our third year. So um, you don't see that a lot, you know, in the in the league, having guys play four or five years together. So um, it's really special. It's really cool to have. Jordan Poyer, my guest. Jordan, if you're up for it, I want to ask you about a post that you had on Instagram on March 13th. That was the day that you posted what I thought was an incredibly powerful and inspiring message that started with, quote, a year ago today, I decided to quit drinking, not because of anything special like Lent or New Year's resolution, but because I was an alcoholic, end of quote. First of all, why was that something that you wanted to share with the world, and what did you want people to take away from that? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, it, you know, we all go through a lot of things in life, and, and and you know, I don't think anybody's perfect. And I think, you know, I think people see us athletes as people who are just, you know, they see our Instagram and see the way you know we live um, without, you know, with all our imperfections and and whatnot. And, and you know, I just wanted everybody to understand, you know, you know what I was going through. It's a serious thing. You know, um, I was I used alcohol. To, to run away from all my problems, man. And, and, you know, it was, it, it, I, I hit a point in life where I had to, I had to figure it out, man. And, um, so I, I stopped drinking and, you know, had, had some, had some, a really strong support system helping me, um, to do that. Um, and so I went a year and felt like it was right to, to just let people know that it's okay to ask for help. Um, and, and, you know, to let people know that, you know, me, that people that look up to me, that I'm not human, that, you know, that I make mistakes as well. And, and that I was here for anybody that needed to reach out. And, you know, as the, the amount of, I mean, you know, alcoholism is a problem, you know, it's like, I mean, I knew it was a problem before I made that post, but I mean, just that it was, it was, it was crazy. The amount of people from all over the world, you know, um, you know, one thanking me and two, you know, telling me about their, you know, some people from you know Israel, from Australia, tell me their whole life stories about you know how alcohol has affected them, and you know it is a is an issue. So I, you know, I'm trying to make light and uh, make light of it, and, and try to let people know that it's okay to ask for help, um, and and you know that I'm I'm human as well, and I make mistakes, and and if I'm able to overcome you know that alcohol, because I was, I mean, it was bad, man. It was it was extremely bad, and I'm ashamed of. You know the way out the way I was using it, but um, if I was able to overcome it, then you know so can you. And so I was just trying to help people, man. And um, that was really my whole message. My whole message was that. Jordan, I can't say how much I respect you and how much I admire you and how much I appreciate you for everything you just said and everything you've done. And the fact is, I mean, you were actually playing at a very high level, but you knew there was something wrong and you had to make a change. In addition to all of this, you've said my DMs are open. If you have any questions, you need any support, you can, you know where to find me, which is an incredibly generous offer. You touched on this, but if somebody listening right now thinks, I, I really don't know what to do. I'm in a really, really bad spot. I don't know if I can get out of this spot. I need help. And they don't know where to go or what to do. What would you tell that person? Yeah, usually, you know, when people ask me that uh, through the DMs, you know, they they tell me that, you know, they they have a problem, you know, hey, you know, whether it's I have a problem, I can't go out um, and drink and and have one drink, I got to go out and I get, you know, smacked and come back the next day and I feel crappy. So I, you know, for me, the the best thing that I had was a really strong support system. You know, my wife, obviously, she wanted me to stop drinking for the longest time. Um, You know, she she was my rock throughout the whole thing. You know, having a strong support system is what I always tell people. And, you know, I tell them to tell, you know, tell somebody 
um, you know, what they basically, they just wrote me, you know, hey, let somebody close to you know what you just wrote me, let them know that you feel like you have a problem because you shouldn't feel ashamed to to open up, you know, as, as especially as men, you know, we feel like we were, you know, so, you know, you know, macho man, I can deal with this, I can deal with that, you know, it's okay to ask for help. And that's what I had to do. You know, I had to ask, I, you know, tell my wife, I remember I broke down crying, you know, why, you know, I got a, I got a real issue. I need, I need help, you know? And so, and then I went to AA, a couple of AA meetings and I saw, you know, I had some people helping me in there. So I think just having somebody around you that, you know, um, you know, a friend, family member, um, then just letting them know, because, you know, they probably, most of the time, they probably know that you have a problem, but just, you know, don't want to tell you. That's what was my situation. My mom knew I had a problem for the longest time. I mean, she told me, but never, you know, waited for me to kind of grow up and, and grow up and sell her, you know, yeah, mom, I see what you're saying. So, um, you know, I think just being able to tell someone close to them, you know, that is the same thing that, you know, whatever they told me in the DM. Um, and, and you know, I've gotten a lot of, I got a lot of great responses from it. You know, I had a guy, who've been working in the banking system for the law for 30 years. He came, went home and drank every day. He, he took his vacation and he's going to, he went to a, checked into a rehab spot for 30 days, um, just off of the post, man. And he, I mean, I talked to him every day, how he's doing and, you know, he's doing, he's doing all right. He's, he's hanging in there three weeks strong. So, you know, it's cool to see just, um, you know, this is the impact that, I mean, I didn't really expect it, but just to see that impact that it has, just a simple post and reaching out to people and just having a conversation with somebody, you know, so and um, it, was, it was pretty, it was pretty special. My man, it's like the coolest thing ever. I mean, who knows how many lives you have changed or even saved with that post. And I just want to go on record as saying, I think it's courageous as hell. I admire it so much. I think it's incredible. 124 tackles last season and coming off a huge year. The Buffalo Bills have high expectations. Jordan, I really do appreciate you. I think that's an amazing story you tell. I respect it. I admire it. Thank you so much for putting yourself out there and sharing yourself. As I mentioned, who knows how many people's lives you changed or saved. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, You guys have a great rest of the day, great rest of the week. Good night now!